Hello everyone and welcome to a special edition of the Outback Quarterback podcast today. We have got a very special guest. Adam Brenneman is the man who joins us today uh, from Scottsdale, Arizona. I'll get to the interview in a moment, but I just want to give you a bit of context on who he is. He was a tight end in college for Penn State and UMass, had three-time All-American, which I mentioned in the interview. One of the most productive college tight ends of his time was projected for the NFL draft. Unfortunately, injury curtailed his career, uh, retired just before the draft. However, he has made a great go of his life since. He's a college football analyst now. He's got great social media channels, Insta, TikTok. Um, He's becoming quite the personality. He's done some commentary. He was a tight ends coach at Arizona State for a while. He did some stuff in politics. He's done some stuff with charity. He's an interesting character. Um, He's building a great profile for himself, and he's been nice enough to join the show today. So this was a fantastic interview. He gives us great insight into all of the big issues in college football at the moment, and kind enough to say that he'll come on again um, later in the year and we'll have we'll have more Adam Brenneman on the show. So please get around him on Instagram and his podcast. Without any further ado, here's the interview. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, we are very excited for today's guest. It's a man by the name of Adam Brenneman, college football analyst now, but Tell you what, he's done a fair bit in his time already. There's so many things I've got to list off in my introduction here. Tight end in college, three-time All-American for Penn State and UMass. Went on to be tight end coach at Arizona State. Most recently, though, he's turning into a bit of a media mogul. He's got his Instagram, Adam Brenneman, which we follow very closely at the Outback Quarterback Pod. Uh, Also hosting the podcast, Brenneman Shows Up. He's had guests such as Jared Goff, Kenny Pickett, Chase Edmonds, Mike Gesicki, and one of my favorites in Pat Frymouth. So... Adam, thanks so much for joining. How do you find the time to do all this stuff? <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys having me. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's always a, a juggling act for trying to trying to schedule interviews and do interviews like this. But I, I enjoy it. It's easy for me talking about football. Is I can't believe people sometimes actually pay me to do this <laughs> uh, to to talk about football because it, it comes so natural to me. But um, I enjoy it, and I appreciate you guys having me on. I love love what you guys have built with the uh, with the podcast and and uh, the social media channels. So keep up the great work. Thanks, mate. That's actually something I wanted to to ask about. Like, how have you gone about building such a great following on Insta? And is that where you're focusing most of your energy? That and the podcast at the moment. You know, I actually focus more really on TikTok than I do Instagram, uh, which is which is uh, which is kind of kind of ironic, um, just because TikTok's normally a younger demographic. But yep. uh, my my uh, main following is really on TikTok. I have you know fifty thousand followers on TikTok, and um, and obviously, wow. you know, I'm just I'm just able to cross post everything on Instagram and YouTube, and uh, and when I shoot these videos, put them on to different audiences. Like there's some people who follow on Instagram, but not on TikTok. Like you know, obviously, like you. So um, yeah, I mean, I just I just uh, try to come up with these ideas to produce content, and and uh, you know, I, in the beginning, I really cared a lot about what people were gonna, you know, uh, will, mm. will someone like this? Will they, you know, is this gonna be something that they share? And I really got away from that. Now I just kind of do what I want to talk about, you know, and then yeah. if they don't like it, they don't like it. If they do, they do. But I found that when you can be organic and natural and be yourself, it's a lot easier to get people to, uh, you know, to pe- people enjoy it more than, than the, than the more produced content. 
Yeah, oh, that, that's certainly what we've found as well. The posts that just have our faces talking about things we find funny, that does so much better. We haven't tackled TikTok yet. That's intimidating to me as a 32-year-old, but I think one day we're going to have to. <laughs> um, before we get into some college football, because uh, that's what we've brought you on for, one thing I did want to ask you about is uh, the fundraiser that you started when I believe you are in high school, Catch the Cure, um, yeah. raised, uh, I believe, well, from what I've read, over $200,000 for ALS, or we call it motor neurone disease here. The reason, I mean, it's such a fantastic cause and it's so close to so many Australians' hearts because we have a, a famous Australian football coach here by the name of Neil Danaher who's been diagnosed with motor neurone um, probably 10 years ago now. And he spent, him and his family, the last decade have been raising money for motor neurone disease with a thing called the Big Freeze. So there's a game um, every year, the Big Freeze game, where celebrities go down the slide into an ice bucket, all the crowd wears these blue beanies and they've just raised millions and millions of dollars. So how did you... um, how did you come up with the idea to, to create Catch the Cure and why is it so close to your heart? Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great question. I, I had a, a family friend um, named by the name of Tom Kirchhoff, who was a really popular football player from my hometown uh, who was diagnosed with ALS um, when he was about 40 some years old. And wow. um, at the time I was in high school, uh, he was my brother's football coach. And it was really a devastating thing. Obviously, it's such mm-hmm. a terrible disease that impacts so many people. Um, and, and there's no cure. The, the deterior- deterioration is is awful. So uh, I knew I wanted to do something because at that point, I was now a big time recruit, had this yep. kind of notoriety and this platform, um, but didn't wasn't sure what I was going to do. And what really happened is I was in discussions with um, this this foundation called the, uh, Project ALS, which um, basically I wanted to I wanted to work with someone who is working to find a cure, not just, you know, there's some great foundations that do support for families, things like that, pay for treatment. Like I wanted to find someone that was looking for a cure for ALS and was spending all their money on finding a cure. Um, and I found this great organization, Project Project ALS, was in talks with them about possibly my senior year of high school doing a fundraising campaign where someone could pledge an amount of money, you know, and say, hey, we'll give a dollar for every catch Adam has in in the season, or we'll give five for every touchdown. Yeah. So I wanted to do something like that. That was really the goal. And uh, what happened, we were putting the plans together for that. And then come July before my senior year of high school, I'm 17 years old. I, uh, tore my ACL in a, in a training camp. Um, so tore my ACL was, was going to miss the entire senior season. And what happened is they ended up calling me, you know, project ALS, the, the Kirchhoff family. And it was kind of like, Oh, bummer. Like, guess we can't do this fundraiser. And I was kind of like, well, I mean, now I have even more time to focus on the fundraiser. So, so instead of doing the money per catch, which is where catch the cure came from, um, it just became, um, it just became me just trying to raise money just through donations, mm. marketing, doing, going to events, selling t-shirts and things like that. Um, so that's really where, it, where it came from. Um, and it just kind of blew up like that and kind of took a shift away from the initial plan, but was able to kind of devote my senior year to doing that. And we raised, like you said, a quarter million dollars in in really only a few months. And it was, uh, it was a really, really cool experience, learned a lot. And I, I'm still I'm actually on the project ALS, um, board of directors still, and, and, you know, work with them now um, and just kind of pretty active in in that whole space still, which is, which is exciting for me to be a part of. Oh, that's great, mate. Great stuff. Congratulations on all the work you've done there. That's yeah. Impressive. It's a great cause. um, And as I said, something that's so close to Australian sports fans hearts as well. So, um, all right, let's get into some college football. Now, one of the big reasons we wanted you on the show is we normally focus on 
NFL. That's what Australian fans tend to get into more. It's more available here. Um, the sport is growing and growing. But we know that there's this complex beast underneath all of it that drives so much of it, and that's college football. So starting with, I guess, the most basic of questions, um, why and how is college football such the beast that it is? You know, we can't grasp over here that non-professional sport essentially is is so huge, is so well attended, has such breadth and reach across the country. Can you explain briefly how college football has become so ingrained and such a huge part of the American football landscape? Yeah, it's a great point, you know, and and I think, like you said, college football is such a part of the American tradition and American pastime and such a big part of, I mean, every fall, um, every Saturday is devoted to watching college football. I mean, mm. for most people in America, you know, you, you're not even supposed to have weddings on Saturdays during, <laughs> during the fall in America um, because it's such a big deal. And I think really it comes down to people identify, I think more with co- with college athletics, especially big time college athletics. Yep. You know, if you're, if you're a Philadelphia Eagles fan, you know, you can't really say like, we did this or we won the Super Bowl because you may be a fan, but like you weren't really part of the Philadelphia Eagles, mm. you know, but if you went to a school like Penn state and Penn state wins the national championship and you are as a student at Penn state, you feel like you were part of that. You were like, we did this, we did that. I actually go to that school. Yep. Um, and I think that, that the big schools that have big alumni bases, their fans are just so intense. The passion is, I mean, you go to a college football game, it's way different than an NFL game. NFL games are intense, but I mean, there's a, reason that you know the biggest stadium in the in the college football is has 20 30,000 more seats in the biggest stadium in the NFL. Yeah. Um cool. you you're talking you're talking stadiums with 110,000 people in college football at the big house at University of Michigan, Penn State, Beaver Stadium. Uh so I mean college football is an intense sport and mm-hmm. the then the pat the passion behind it. I guess that's the word. Like there's just a little bit more passion behind college sports because people feel like they're part of it and it's part of their identity, right? When you when you go to a college, you know, that's like your identity. Like you like you truly feel like you are part of that program and that university. And, um, and when they lose, it hurts you. Cause like, that's, that's you, that, that, that's, that's where you're identified with. That's the school you went to in the NFL. You can be a fan, but that's all you'll ever be. You'll never actually have an experience for 99.9% of people, um, mm-hmm. with an NFL team. They're just a fan of the team. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It makes, it makes a whole lot of sense. And it's such a different culture here, I guess, because we just don't have that connection with our universities here. We, we go there, yeah. we see them as, I think a lot of people see them as a transient place to study, get the degree to the box and then you're on your way with your professional life so for an Australian football league team here people can be paid members so there's one thing having a season ticket but then you can also be a paid member where you support your club financially you get certain benefits that way so I think that's how they feel the connection Um, so much happening in, in the college landscape at the moment one of the big stories has been USC and UCLA choosing to leave Pac-12 and going to the Big Ten in 2024 um, why is this such a huge move and what does it mean for college football it's just huge because I think it shocked a lot of people. I mean, the Big Ten, you know, for obviously those in the U.S., you know, the Big Ten is really a Midwest and Northeast conference with mm-hmm. Penn State and Michigan and Michigan State. Um, you know, you're talking Rutgers and Maryland and and Northwestern. These are all these aren't West Coast schools, right? These are these are uh, these are Northeast and Midwest. And then you get these two schools from California, the whole other side of the country, yeah. coming to, coming to play in the Big Ten. Um, so I think it, it just like geographically doesn't really make a lot of sense. But what it is 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 we're seeing the pro- the professionalization of college sports. Yeah. Um. And 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 it makes sense because really. 
like we, like we just talked about, college football is almost a bigger business in the NFL in some ways in, in America. And, you know, the fact that none of these players were ever getting paid and that all the, all these media companies and, and coaches and administrators and, and the NCAA were making all this money and the players weren't, you know, it was kind of ridiculous for a while. And now yeah. that's changing in college football. But so you have that changing, you now have the conferences following suit, right? And these, co- these, these schools are now saying, where can we go make the most money in TV revenue? And really that's going to come from creating these power conferences, um, and kind of, uh, and kind of, um, solidating, uh, where, where the best schools are and what conferences they're in. So, um, so I, I think really at the end of the day, it's, it's not a terrible thing for the sport. It's just different. Right. And, and we've seen changes in college football before Texas A&M left the big 12 to go to the sec, mm-hmm. um, 10, maybe 10, uh, nine years ago, possibly. Uh, when that happened, everyone was like, how can Texas A&M ever not be in the Big 12, right? Like, just doesn't even make sense. Um, they don't have the rivalry with Texas every year. They're not going to play Texas Tech every year. Mm. Um, but now, 10 years later, Texas A&M, their identity and their fan base is that we are the SEC. Like, that's who we are. We play, and It's just funny how things change and people adapt. And pretty soon, the USC fans will be diehard uh, Big Ten <laughs> fans. And Big Ten fans will love seeing the Penn State versus USC rivalry every year and seeing the Michigan go have to fly to L.A. and play in the Coliseum against um, against against USC. Like, in UCLA having to go play Northwestern. Like, that's going to be a sweet game. So, I think, yeah. you know, people people always react. And, and it, it's different and people don't like change but i think it's going to be something that's exciting for college football you mentioned the the super conferences or the power conferences is that is it inevitable as college football progresses over the years that we're going to end up with two or three just big conferences and and that's how it that's how it sort of gets reformed yeah, I think I think that's what some of the big conferences want, right? You got the Big Ten with sixteen teams now. Do they go to twenty um, and, mm. and bring in four more? I think it's possible. Same thing with with the SEC. Do they try to get to twenty and and just form two mega conferences? Um, and then you know, do you, does does the ACC go to twenty and bring in, a, and then you kind of consolidate around that? I don't know. I mean, I think it's. I think um, from what we've been told, the Big Ten's happy right now. The SEC's happy right now. The Pac-12 is dying, but they're still alive. You know, they're, <laughs> they they've been the worst power five conference for a while. So they'll just stay as the worst power five conference. Um, the big 12 still hanging on. So uh, I, I don't know. I don't know if we're going to see uh, if we're going to see two, um, if we're going to see two to three um, conferences here soon, power conferences, I think we'll see the power five continue, but you're just going to have, you know, the big 10 and the sec as the main ones. And I do think if the big 10 can find a way to bring in Notre Dame, I mean, that, that will then put big 10 as I think, the best conference in college football and kind of uh, overpass uh, the SEC as, as that premier conference in, 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 uh, in college football. Okay. So one of the things you alluded to just before was the, uh, the fact that previously players in college could earn no money. They weren't paid to play. It, again, that blows our minds as Australians, seeing athletes perform in front of 110,000 people, nationally televised, huge you know, fame and, and um, attention yeah. on everything they do and getting no reward for it financially. Now with the name, image and likeness rights means that they can get paid for you know, endorsements and but essentially the use of themselves as a promotional tool. So uh, how does that change the game and does it mean that the rich schools who can afford to pay more get the better players? 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's definitely changed the game. And there's there's still rules and regulations, right? You're not supposed to be able to use NIL, a name, name, image, and likeness, to be able to uh, to be able to like persuade a kid into going to one school or another. But in reality, um, how uh, does that work? <laughs> Oh, I was going to say it, the 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 reality is though that um, you know we're seeing uh, we're definitely seeing it play out and mm-hmm. and you know as long as some of these donors and these schools uh, you know keep things documented the right way, I mean it's hard to say. Well, did you know was the was the decision made because of the money? You know, no, that's hard to prove. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think. Uh, for number one, I think it's a great, I, I think it's about time players are able to make money. I, sure. I had a great college football career. I was an all American in college, had one of the most productive careers of a tight end in recent college football history, made zero money playing, yeah. playing football. It's insane. Um, it's insane. I, 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 yeah, I retired before the NFL cause of my knee, my knee wore away from my college football career during mm. that time. And I never made any money. Mm. Um, now that's not the complaint or feel bad for myself, just the, the reality the, of, fact, of, yeah. of that's reality of back then. And now that these kids can do it, I think it's awesome. I've been advocating for it for a while. Yep. I think, I think what we're seeing, I think I, I love the idea of players being able to do endorsement deals, build their brands, do deals that make sense for them with these companies. And, but as far as the pay for play or the bribing kids to go from one school to another based on the money, I don't think, I don't think that's a, a sustainable model. And yep. and you see even in professional football, NFL, you, you, there's things that keep that, that from happening where you just pay a guy to go for one team or another. There's a salary cap. Um, there's, there's things like that. And there's rules and regulations in the NFL. I think that just a level playing field in college football where you can't just go and buy the best team will we'll be a better uh, better system for everyone. But it's so new that we're all still figuring it out, right? We're all still figuring out what NIL is. So you think over time there'll be tighter restrictions as as the system sort of figures out the way people are taking advantage of the current loopholes? Yeah, I do. I, I think the NCA or maybe even you know, in, in the U.S. government, possibly, you know, the United States Senate possibly coming in with some antitrust laws. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of different possibilities that, that could happen. But I think enough people that are high up in college football don't like the current system and they're saying we have to do something about it. Um, and again, that's not to say players should be able to get paid. It's just uh, what what they're seeing now with these deals of players just kind of transferring from one school to another based on IL deals. I don't think it's good for anyone or good for the sport. And and it's not sustainable, right? It's not a sustainable model for college football. So I think we'll see some kind of regulation um, and, and just some level playing field in college football. All right, let's change tack a little bit. Uh, let's talk about some players, some of your favorites in the college system at the moment. Have you got two or three quarterbacks for the upcoming season that you've really got your eye on that you think will make an impact? Yeah, I think you got to start with Will Levis at Kentucky. Um, uh, he's transferred from Penn State to Kentucky and, and – think he's going to be a guy that could win the Heisman. Kentucky's got a great program. Stoops has done a really good job there. He's got a good team around him. So I think he's going to be a special one. Um, you know, I think, uh, I think Caleb Williams has a huge year mm-hmm. at USC. I'm, I'm sipping the USC Kool-Aid pretty, pretty, <laughs> uh, pretty hard right now. I love, love USC this year. I think they built that roster is just so talented um, for, for USC and um, staying in the Pac-12. I think Bo Nix has a good year at Oregon. I do. I think, I know he's been through a lot at Auburn, played, played a lot of football there, but I think in that Kenny Dillingham offense with Dan Landing at Oregon, I, I really like Bo Nix. Um, you know, you got a, uh, I mean, you got Sean Clifford at Penn state who I know really well that I think has a great year. It's he's in his sixth year at Penn state. And, um, I think he's going to kind of have that final year that solidifies him as one of the greatest passers in, in Penn state history and, um, one of the best in the country. So, 
Uh, I can give you like 20 more if you want to <laughs> well, no, going down well, my list. <laughs> what I was going to ask is, you know, last year they spoke about the, the draft class not being as strong as the previous one. That was the common story for months and months leading up to the draft mm-hmm. and we'll wait to see how that plays out. Um, where do you think this QB draft class upcoming ranks uh, against the last couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's going to be a good class. Again, I think that... Um, I think that Will Levis, uh, his talent as a quarterback, if he can show that he's a true pocket passer and can stand in there and deliver some big time throws, the kids as, a, as athletic as they come, mm-hmm. um, he's big about six, five two thirty, looks like a tight end. Um, he's got a great personality. He's smart. I think that he's got a chance to be a guy that that NFL GMs fall in love with, that they start drooling over at the combine. If he can show that he can be that real pocket passer and he has the arm to do it. Um, So I think there's at the top of that class, again, you got the guys, you know, you got Caleb Williams, you got, um, you know, I, I mentioned a couple of them. You got Clifford, who's got a chance to put put together a really good season. Um, you know, and if he does again, I mean, Sean Clifford at Penn State, you got to think he's in his sixth year of football. He hasn't had the same offensive coordinator um, two years in a row in his whole career. Mm. So, you know, I, I think um, I think you know, I'm excited to see what, what Clifford does, you know, and, and in that big 10, you also got CJ Stroud, right? I mean, I mean, that guy's gonna be the top quarterback picked and we haven't even talked about him yet, but it seems like he's just such a no brainer that yeah, you don't even you know, need no, one mention even, no one even mentions him. Yeah, exactly. You got Bryce young. I mean, yep. can't cam ward from Washington state. I mean, you got a lot of guys that are, that are really talented. And I think, I think, um, you know, I think Stroud and Young obviously would be two of the top quarterbacks. I think Will Levis has a chance to get in there. Cam Ward's a good player. So I think there's a lot of talent. I could I'd go on day, go on for days about the quarterback position. And, and you know, I will say this. I know from being in college football a lot, when you got a good quarterback, a lot of stuff just kind of takes care of itself. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and there's a lot of good ones in college football. So just quickly before we move on, someone who was drafted, Kenny Pickett, the first one out of that class, there was a – Kenny chosen and then rounds and rounds went by before the next one was picked. I know you've had him on your show. How do, he's QB one, right? At Pittsburgh, he he wins that battle before week one. Yeah, you know, I think uh, I don't know. I mean, I I, I see a, I see a scenario where Mason gets it and and um, and and he plays a few weeks and then Kenny comes in. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the hard part is. You know, he's in a good situation, right? He's not going to get rushed on the field before yeah. he has to. He's in a stable franchise. So many first-round quarterbacks, so many first-quarterbacks first, first quarterbacks pick go to these bad franchises, right, where they have terrible rosters. The the GM's on the hot seat. Um, the head coach is is about, you know, the, the, you just – they get a, go into these bad situations. Kenny's in a great situation. Yeah, I mean, not- he's in Pittsburgh. Mike Tomlin's established. They, they brought in a brand-new GM after the draft, so the GM that drafted them isn't even there. Um, so there's not that added pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, but the, the, the reality is Kenny Pickett's 24 years old. I mean, he's, he's, he's an older rookie. Um, and I don't think you're going you're gonna to have your first-round pick, your first pick of the draft, or first quarterback pick, sit on the bench very long until you give him a chance, especially when he's 24. He's not like a 20-year-old coming into the league that you mm-hmm. can wait a couple years. So um, I think there's a lot of different factors going into it. Um, does he start week one? I don't know. I think he's going to start this year at some point. Um, and I think he's going to be a really, really good player in Pittsburgh. I was happy for him. I mean, that was such a cool moment to see him, you know, stay in Pittsburgh yeah. after playing at Pitt for two, for, for five years or four years, however long he was in college and um, such a cool place for him to be. I know, I know he's, he, he and his uh, family are super excited. That's great. Uh, another quarterback we've heard a little bit about over the last few weeks is Arch Manning. So uh, son of Cooper and, and nephew of Eli and Peyton, he has committed to Texas 
for his college ball. Why do you think he chose Texas and how much of a, a huge coup is that for, for them? Does it make them relevant again after struggling a bit for the last decade? Yeah, I think, I think Texas is back. Finally, I think Steve Sarkeesian's done a good job and I've seen a lot of, a lot of you know people saying that, um, that Arch Manning is overrated and he'd never be a four or five, you know, he'd never be a five star if he wasn't, you know, a mm-hmm. Manning kid, but I just disagree. I think he's talented as heck. He's a great leader. He's got everything you want from an intangible perspective. Um, and, and, you know, on top of that, think about the kind of people that are surrounding that kid. If he has any bit of any problems at all, he can pick up the phone and call Peyton, Eli <laughs> Cooper. I mean, it's just, it's a just bad you know, there circuit. aren't many. Exactly. I, I, I would, I, I think, I think Archman is the kind of guy you want to build a program around and it, what a huge win for Texas and the recruiting trail, you know, recruiting, be, being able to land those recruits before they even get on your program to they get to your program. What people don't realize is it's not just, landing Arch Manning isn't just about Arch Manning being the starting quarterback there in two years. The landing Arch Manning is taught is, is getting donors fired up. Landing Arch Manning is getting tickets is season ticket sales go up. Um, the job stability goes up, uh, funding for facilities goes up. Cause it's like, wow, the, this program's back. Steve Sarkeesian's landing the best quarterback in the country, the best quarterback in the last 10 years, kind of high school. It's a big deal for Texas football. And it's bigger than just the on-field performance. All right, I could ask you a million more questions, but you're a busy man, so we'll let you go. I've got one more for you. I love the position of tight end. You were a tight end in college, obviously. Uh, We have a little segment on our show called My Boy where there's a few rules around it. We have to pick our favorite young players in certain positions. So you can't have more than three years' experience, can't have been a first-round pick. Um, That's how we try and you know claim. If they turn into a great player in eight years' time, we can truly say we claim them early. Uh, Who are your two favorite young tight ends in the NFL at the moment? Who, who are the guys you got your eye on? Oh, young in the NFL right now. I think, um, I mean, I got to go with Pat Fryermuth, right? I yeah, mean, we he's, love him. he's, uh, yeah, he's now, wait, so you said it couldn't be a first round pick. Is that what you said? Well, yeah. So I, we, we couldn't pick him in. in oh, was he, was he a first rounder? No, he, he was a second round pick. Yeah, that's so. right. So I think he, one of the boys did pick him. So he, he counts. Okay. Okay. So yeah, I go with Pat Fryermuth. Um, other young tight ends. I want to say Kyle Pitts, but he was a first rounder. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Noah Fant's a really good player. Wait, was he a first rounder as well? I, I, I'm, I'm naming all first. Right. Picks Don't worry me. about the rules. I made uh, that too hard yeah. for you. Just, just tell us who you like, man. <laughs> no, I mean there, 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 there are so many young tight ends in the league right now. Who, mm. who, um, you know, you, and you've seen the the league transition to this more pass heavy league, but and tight ends have been, been uh, that position's gotten more and more popular, right? Even a guy like Mike Kosicki, and I'll give you, there's another one, like on his contract year now, going to going into his fifth year, um, they just got, they just franchise tagged him. Like he's going to have a massive year. Mm. Uh, but these guys that have truly changed the tight end position, um, it's exciting to see, you know, there's a lot of guys that, that um, kind of take that model as being that complete tight end, like a Jimmy Graham type that can make plays down the field. Um, also, I'll give you I'll give you a sleeper, and it's a kid I coached at, at Arizona State. A guy named Curtis Hodges was undrafted free agent, plays for the Washington Commanders. Um, he's a really good player. I think he's going to play in the NFL for a long time. And he's he's about six seven, long, can run, great hands, physical. I think he's going to be a really good player. 
All right, good to know. I'll um, I'll tell the boys that I'm on Curtis Hodges, and they'll be impressed when he turns love into it. a star. <laughs> I love it. I love. Look, they're gonna be like, who, who, who's that? Who are you talking about? Yeah, they think I've gone really, really deep with my research. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, thanks so much for joining us, mate. We would, um, we'd love to have you on again. This was just such a great interview. I know uh, our our listeners will love hearing your insight. Um, appreciate you taking time out of your schedule to join us. So, everyone, uh, please follow Adam Brenneman on Insta and on TikTok, as we found out today. Listen to his podcast. Brenneman shows up. Uh, Adam, appreciate your time. Appreciate it. Let's do it again sometime soon.